Hey everyone, this is Misha. Today on the show, Clint and Chad talk about bad movies, what is missing from college education programs, and how to de-stress in dad chat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hello out there in listener land. How's it going? This is Clint, recording from amongst the mountains in Roanoke, Virginia. And I'm Chad, speaking from the northernmost tip of Oregon, Astoria, Oregon. And this is Schoolja, The podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk across the country about our combined 30-plus years of education experiences. We also talk about nonsense. For instance, insignificance shot the sheriff. What? Come on, man. Do the intro. The goal is to make the podcast that teachers... And everyone else, tell your friends. Find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch, but without the complaining. Teachers don't complain. We're too tired to (laughs) complain. Yeah, that's true. So, Clint, what are the words students can't wait to hear come out of their teacher's mouth? Have a great summer. Yeah, but they also want to hear movie day. Oh, we've all been there. It's the last day before a long weekend or a holiday break. The test has been taken, and everyone knows any new material taught is just going to leak out of their kids' heads by the time they return. So what does any self-respecting teacher do when faced with such a struggle? (laughs) We show movies. And the most responsible of us show movies that are either tied directly to our curriculum. Like the Hollywood version of a story we just read in English. Or a disaster movie that shows how earthquakes would affect the West Coast of the United States in a geology class. But when there aren't movies that match up naturally with what we're teaching at the time, that's okay because there are also a ton of movies out there about the world of education that are nice and inspiring time filler. Right. Movies like Lean on Me, Dead Poets Society, Stand and Deliver, Mr. Holland's Opus, they all fill educators with inspirational tears while also marginally entertaining our students. It's a real win-win. There's a lot of movies like that out there, so we're going to talk about two different teacher movies today. One that we love and one that we can't stand. So I'll go ahead and go first. One of the movies that I love is School of Rock. School of Rock is a movie about a kind of loser, and he is terrible at being a rock star, but he fakes his way into a private elementary school and uh, convinces the kids there that their class project is to be in a rock band, and they're going to go compete in the Battle of the Bands. And it's very silly, and he helps these kids who have all kinds of struggles. Even though they are wealthy and kind of upper-class kids, they have their own struggles with their parents or with, in some cases, body image issues or... I'm worried that I'm not very cool and kids don't like me. And he uses this idea of a, of a rock band to kind of build up everybody and get them going. And I love the music and I, I love the message that it gives. And it's also slightly irreverent. So it's got a lot of weird humor in it that I enjoy. And School of Rock's a fun one. It's a good one for kids to see, especially it's old enough now that most of our students haven't seen it or they've only seen like snippets of it. And I think it's a good one for those reasons. So what have you got? I actually just finished showing this to my human performance class and it was the first time I'd seen it. It's a 2011 documentary called Undefeated that follows a Memphis inner city high school football team who has a hundred year history of kind of just being a doormat of Tennessee football and they follow a volunteer head football coach who's been there for six years and he's turning the program around and it specifically documents three young men who have changed their lives and are are doing great things and, and working to get to college but it definitely 
paints a really clear picture of what poverty looks like, the struggles that these students have to deal with on a day-to-day basis that have nothing to do with football. It's a cool football movie for kids who are into sports and things like that, but really sheds a lot of light on just what it's like in different parts of our own country. And as my students watched it, I think it was a huge eye-opener for them. Something I would definitely recommend for anyone. That's really cool. I think documentaries are kind of having a golden age right now. The bar's really been raised on the production value and the entertainment value of documentaries. It's easy to find documentaries that high school kids will actually get engaged with. All right, man. So you got to share now the one you hate. I feel a little bad saying that I hate this one because it is definitely a favorite of other teachers. Actually, some of the teachers in my school now use this movie. The reason I hate it doesn't really have anything to do with the quality of the movie. It's more the point of view that it kind of puts out there. The movie is called Freedom Writers. It's about a woman who goes to Los Angeles and she's trying to teach this group of kids who nobody could connect with. And they were just a group of kids that kind of the school district was sort of throwing away. They're putting them in one classroom and leaving them there for the day and not giving them a a chance. And a woman comes in and she helps turn their lives around and gets them interested in school and and helps them a lot which is all well and good and it's based on a true story this did actually happen our district brought in one of the freedom writers to speak to us and he was very interesting however what i don't like about it is the way that it treats the school system there's like all the other teachers look down on the one teacher who's trying to help these kids and they're like oh you're so stupid this isn't gonna work and there's these kids are beyond help and whatever and then the teacher that ends up helping them she like leaves teaching after two years because it's all too much I don't know to me that's such a waste if she's such a good teacher then the district would and should support her and help her and I just think that we have a problem in our country of not valuing teachers and movies and things that make it look like the school is completely uncaring doesn't help that at all it's not one that I would show but I know that a lot of people do like it mine I can't even show in school <laughs> when, when we decided to, to do this segment I was kind of thinking more along the lines of just movies about high school that I just either love or hate and I couldn't let this one go I had to talk about it so I, have you, I don't know if you've ever seen Varsity Blues I've never watched it I mean it is just the quintessential late 90s horribly cliched movie about Texas high school football where the starting quarterback is the coolest guy in town and all the girls want to be with him and, and and the big heavy lineman is really dumb. There's the crazy wild cowboy high school kid. And it's just so bad. Definitely not one I would recommend to anybody. But if you just want a good laugh, it might be all right. So it's more of a movie to watch and make fun of how much they get wrong? Yeah, I would say so. Well, I think that wraps it up for this little segment. Do you think we're idiots? Probably. Either in general or because of our movie choices? Shoot us an email at schooljapodcast.com or post on our Facebook page at schooljapod and tell us all about it. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. As any teacher will tell you, the most difficult part of modern education is keeping the attention of today's distracted students. And the number one distraction? Cell phones. Kids today just can't get enough of them. But the good people at Pavlov Labs have developed technology that will rid you of this problem forever. Purchase their patent-pending electromagnetic transmitter that builds a static charge in all personal electronic devices within a 40-foot radius. Every time a student reaches for their phone, they will receive not just a new Snapchat message, but a painful shock. Within a week, your students will be too terrified of their devices to do anything but pay attention to you and your enthralling lesson on medieval economic theory. How could any kid resist? Pavlov's phone. 
shockingly effective. Hey, thanks for coming back. We missed you. We sure did. Chad, how well did your teacher training in college prepare you for the classroom? Uh, honestly, man, not very well. I mean, if you ask me right now without me like looking up my transcripts, I don't even know the names of most of the classes I took or what we covered. How about you? I could basically write a lesson plan and I could deliver it, but there were a ton of things I had no clue about. And that's exactly why we're dedicating this episode to all the college education departments out there. They probably aren't listening. Regardless, today we'll be discussing everything they should have taught us in our education classes. And we should have a caveat that both uh, Chad and I went to school for education like 15, 16 years ago. Long time ago. So things may have changed in the meantime and we just don't know about it. But we're going to talk about the things we wish we would have been taught and and if they are being taught now, hooray! And if they're not, get on it. Shame on so, you. Exactly. So Chad, why don't you start us off? The big one that comes to mind for me is, is more education on how to deal with trauma-informed care for students, understanding the effects of poverty and all the negativity that, that students have to deal with that they bring into their school and how we handle that. I mean, one thing that that it's uh, pretty obvious is there's not a lot of people pursuing education that have individually, personally dealt with that kind of stuff. And so some sort of training on that uh, would have been really helpful. Just as a small example, I have a lot of students that when they want to go to the bathroom, they ask and they're like, can I go right now? And I will say things like, no, I need you to wait so that I can give instruction. And then after that, I'll write you a pass. And it's like I'm breaking their brains to make them wait. And part of the problem is in a lot of families and in a lot of places, if you don't continually ask for something or or you don't get it right now, then that means you might never get it. Whereas for folks who are pretty comfortable at home or usually get what they need, then they are able to wait because they know that it's coming. And that's just a small example. I didn't understand that that was why kids were anxious to to get what they wanted right that second. I just figured they were impatient and they were being bratty. Uh, once you have a better understanding of the why for the behaviors that you get, it's a lot easier to help them understand and move them forward. I spend a lot of time saying, I won't forget you. And then coming back two or three minutes later and saying, I haven't forgotten. Just having some of those kinds of techniques taught to me instead of me having to kind of figure it out on my own would have really been helpful. Years ago, we did a uh, kind of a poverty simulation. Just a quick snippet of how it worked is basically probably a couple hundred people at an insert service. Everyone was kind of given a card, kind of described like what your occupation was, how much money you had, some issues that you were dealing with. And then throughout the next hour or two, you would get news that, oh, you just got a huge medical bill or, you know, your kid's sick and you got to go pick them up, which means you have to go leave, leave work. And that means that you're going to lose this much money. And it was almost like a big game of, I don't know, Monopoly and a game of life all in one. But what it did in just a really short amount of time is it really helped to illustrate how stressful some of these things could be. It was stressful for us, even though we were playing this game and I was worried and and just that little two hour thing that we did kind of gave me a completely new perspective I can't imagine getting an opportunity to take an entire semester long course that really lets you dive into like you said some of the strategies some of the whys of how this is happening how we deal with kids how we can support them all those kind of things would have been hugely important just recognizing hey these behaviors are oftentimes a result of this you know as a first-time teacher and you're going man this this kid's being a real pain 
uh, and then you start realizing, oh, the, the reason they're a pain is they haven't eaten in 24 hours and, you know, all these kind of things. So um, so that was, a, that was a pretty cool deal. Our school right now, our whole district actually, is moving towards being trauma-informed. And uh, one of the things that some of the English teachers were asked to do is have our kids write on a little postcard-sized piece of paper, I wish my teacher knew, and then they would fill in the rest. And some of those things were just heartbreaking. Like all of these different things that they're aware of, they know that they have these problems, but they don't know how to deal with it, and they're not able to communicate it well with the teachers. And if we were a little bit more aware of the that trauma, we would definitely be more effective and probably more compassionate in our jobs. What else you got? Well, pulling us away from the kind of sad story, something that I didn't necessarily realize that I was going to have to deal with so much is data and data analysis that goes into education now. If I would have been more aware of that, I might not have become a teacher. I hate, hate numbers. Spreadsheets give me headaches. I wish that I would have had a class on, these are simple ways to deal with this information that you're getting. I don't understand it. I'm sure as a math teacher, that's no problem for you, but for somebody who is focused on mostly humanities, ugh, I just, I I can't handle it. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point though. I mean, we, we deal with all this data and sometimes Sometimes I think everyone's looking around going, okay, so what do we do with it? How do we use this data to generate different teaching strategies or, or better outcomes? I think if anything, just having more training on that is how do we use this? So that's my big one. I want to know how to deal with this data instead of just having it and going, here are a bunch of numbers in a chart. And here you go. And <laughs> moving on. You know, the other thing that comes up from time to time as a teacher is dealing with intense moments of hostility, whether it be in a classroom when you have legitimately angry students. Oftentimes as teachers, we are not prepared or trained for dealing with that in a productive way. I mean, I can tell you as an assistant principal, I never really got used to or comfortable with someone yelling at me. <laughs> um, and so some sort of training on that, it wouldn't even have to be about how teachers do it, but even getting to take like a class that maybe criminal justice majors take or psychology majors take or, or some other classes that helps to kind of understand the psychology behind it and how, you know, how to, how to deal with de-escalating hostile situations. That would be extremely helpful because it is so easy to get your ire up and escalate to the same level that they are because you are just frustrated and a little bit afraid and feel like you need to stand your ground and that can lead to big mistakes. Or even in, in those situations, one of the worst things is just being surprised by it. That's what's probably gotten me in the past in those situations is not expecting it and then kind of not being sure how to handle it. One of the things that actually when I was in education classes, I remember asking specifically, how do you motivate an unmotivated student? Yeah. What do you do to help a student be interested in what you're talking about or recognize at least that it's important enough to do even if they don't really like it? Because we are tasked with teaching all students and helping all students grow, not just the kids that kind of like it or want to be there. I found that to be incredibly lacking. It seemed like most of my education professors were living with their heads in the clouds of, well, if you just make the class exciting, they'll be interested. Well, no, not always. Sometimes all they want to do is just sit there. And and then what do you do? So that's, that's a thing that still I'm struggling with. And if there's 
expertise out there, gosh, put it in a class and teach it to us, please. You know, the other thing uh, that stands out to me a lot is, you know, there was never any discussion or any any courses on setting up a classroom to create an environment that was conducive to really good learning. When I walk into elementary classrooms for conferences and I, I see the classes my kids are in, these really exciting classrooms that just kind of scream, this is the space where we do this and it's bright and it's colorful and it's engaging for students. And I would love to have learned more about, you know, kind of the interior design of a classroom for secondary students and and not what they like, but what works. How should students be sitting? How should your classroom be configured? Are there certain colors that are going to be more conducive to learning? I mean, there's all kinds of things that I think would have been really helpful. You know, if we can get an advantage any way we can, (laughs) I'd love to figure out that as well. I remember you and I took a, I don't know, maybe like a 45 minute training once together where a woman just sort of went through a slideshow of here's what different classrooms can look like. And I remember both of us walking out of that that presentation just feeling like, cool, let's try some different things. We made stand-up desks and we kind of arranged things differently. I brought some couches into my room and we just had different seating choices for kids. We had different options for the different types of learners that we had. And man, it made a big difference. And I think beyond the seating, the way that the walls are decorated, one of the things I hate most about going into a high school classroom is how dreary it is often. Uh, It seems to me that a lot of teachers don't recognize that their classroom is not an inviting place. And if a student doesn't feel like they're being invited into the room by what they're seeing, I'm going to guess that they're going to feel a little bit less interested in doing whatever is going on in there. Being able to know how to decorate on a budget, you know, you're not made of money. So what can you do so that you can have stuff up on the walls that is interesting to look at? The other thing that I definitely know nothing was brought up about this in teacher school, how teachers need to deal with stress and taking care of themselves it's true that we can't take care of our kids if we if we haven't taken care of ourselves and you know you got these young people that are excited to to leave college and change the world and and they're so excited but the reality of it is this job will kick you in the teeth for quite a while in giving people the skills to be able to manage that especially as a first year teacher you're trying to develop your curriculum you're trying to develop your style you're doing all of those things and maybe staying at work way too late and getting there way too early and working all weekend long and that's how people burn out and not being able to recognize when you're getting to your stress peak and how to de-escalate your own issues so that you can be the best teacher that you can for those kids. One final thing that I want to bring up, even though these things weren't taught to us and we kind of had to learn them on the fly or in the case of me and data crunching, I still don't really get it. (laughs) One of the things that I think we have as an advantage in our schools is that there's probably at least one or two teachers on staff that know how to do each one of these things. I think it would be wise for school districts instead of paying for outside groups to come in and do professional development, tap the resources of the school and find out who is good at these different things and have them do trainings and bring the rest of the staff up to speed. Not that everybody has to do things the same way, but just to understand. If somebody on your staff used to be in the military or uh, a police officer and is very good at de-escalating, by all means, 
they should be brought in or be asked to put on a little training to help teachers know how to do it better. One other point I want to make too is I, I brought this question up to some colleagues of mine and one teacher brought up a good point. He said, the problem is no matter what I would have been taught then until I got in the classroom and had a few years under my belt, I don't know how much I would have soaked it in and, and been able to utilize it. And I think that is something that's really important. I don't know, as a, as a I guess a country that has a system in place to train educators, it's like we, we maybe needed to kind of relook at this whole system and say, okay, what skills do we need to make sure that they have right now so that they could get into the schools and, and start teaching? Then what do we need to make sure that we are training them on once they have a few years under their belt? I, I do understand that while I would like to see some changes in, in, in how we educate our future teachers, um, some of it is definitely more relevant once once you're in the classroom. Well, I know you all have thoughts about this one. What do you think we missed? Contact us on Facebook or Twitter at SchoolJapod and give us an earful. Or send us an email at SchoolJapodcast at gmail.com. And now, another word from our sponsor. Hey, School you listeners, this is Chad, co-host of the podcast. And if you're like me, especially during this time of year, I bet you're having those crazy teacher dreams. I used to be like that, always having dreams that I come to class and my undies or my teeth were falling out during a formal observation. That was until I got a Clasper mattress. Yeah, they're really cool. I ordered my Clasper online. A few days later, a big box shows up on my doorstep. And in just a few minutes, my Clasper is set up and ready for sleep. The folks at Clasper use some pretty crazy subliminal hypnosis or something like that that I don't understand, but it sure works. Since getting my Clasper, I've slept like a baby with no more teacher dreams. It's great. So give Clasper a try. Find them online and use our promo code SCHOOLEDYA for a free set of dry erase markers. Check it out. Clasper, have an A-plus night. Hooray! It's time for our favorite segment of the show. Dad, Dad chat. chat. That's right. When we brag about what is happening in our lives that's making us happy. For me, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to it. I don't know how much our listeners have been paying attention to it. But for whatever reason, I have gotten sucked in to many podcasts and many news reports about the election. And we're recording before we even know any results. And I don't know on Monday when this is dropped what is happening. Happened, but I know that I am very relieved that at least the election is over because <laughs> it has been exhausting and I've had a hard time focusing on the things that I need to do. And as we go forward for the next two years uh, before the next big election, I really need to like take a good step back because I've been I've been taking on way too much. Now, we usually talk about things that are making us happy, and this is just sort of a relief of stress. Uh, so I'm going to throw in one other thing. While I am very glad that the elections are over, I'm more happy about the fact that my wife and I bought couches for our anniversary, and they finally came. Yes. And they're comfy, and they fit the room well, and so we're just pretty stoked that that has finally happened. So anyway, those are my things. Short and sweet, but whew, I can now relax again. All right. Well, you did something really serious there with the election. I have something way more selfish and vain. Yes. Uh, as you know, I know you wished me happy birthday a few weeks ago. I turned 39 in October. And actually along the lines of stress relief, you know, you know, Clint, and you make fun of me for this a lot. One of my hobbies is I do like to exercise. I, I did find, especially when I was an assistant principal for and a principal for four years, that uh, if I didn't exercise, I, I did not feel 
like myself. I'm also a big goal setter. I think that no matter what you're doing, it's always nice to have some sort of number or some sort of thing you're shooting for. So I've made a goal for myself for my 39th year that I am going to complete 100,000 push-ups before I turn 40. What? Are you counting all the push-ups you did in the rest of your life? No, just for this year. That only ends up to be 274 a day. So it's really not... I don't know why you're laughing. I'm laughing because that's like, that That would be my goal for the whole year, just to do 274. No, I know. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I know. But if you really break it down, if you just did a few, every like few minutes, it's it's really not that much. It's, and I know that sounds, I know some people are probably thinking, no, it's a lot. But it, 274 a day is, is very doable. I'm two weeks in at this point. Actually, by the time this drops, I'll be probably more like four weeks in. You know, one of the big reasons I'm sharing it with you is because I'm really excited about it. It like gives me kind of a, a something to, to shoot for, and it's a pretty big number. But it's also, you know, if you're setting a goal, if you share it with your friends as well as a bunch of other people that listen. It, it definitely helps you uh, keep you accountable too. Absolutely. So the reason I decided to share it for my dad chat is uh, now I can't quit. That's awesome. Because uh, I've shared it on this podcast. Dude, that is so cool. I am I am yeah. very impressed. I seriously Thanks, can't remember the last time I did a push-up voluntarily. <laughs> we have a lot in common, and that is one of the things that we do now. Oh, man, that is so amazing. I am excited to hear updates. Okay, will do. Well, that's our show. Have a question? Got any good education movies we should check out? Want to add to the conversation about improving education programs at colleges across the country? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooldiapodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooldiapod. Follow me on Instagram at chatterboxes. You can also find me on Twitter at Astoria. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. Also, big thanks to my wife, Nikki, for our fun theme music. And we are eternally grateful to Corey Logan for our fantastic cover design. Find him on Instagram at CoreyLoganArt. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Astronomous Ray, please come to the office. Astronomous Ray, come to the office, please. Gotta leave that in, man.